welcome to the Introduction to Clinical Research podcast. My name is Debbie. I use she, her pronouns. Hi, everyone. Quick interlude from me, Debbie. We had some audio issues on the recording of this podcast, so I sound simultaneously a thousand miles away and right up close to my microphone, and you might hear it cut out occasionally. It's because I foolishly used the wrong microphone. My sincerest apologies. Also, I think Elise was stood next to an air conditioner or a fan while we recorded this, so occasionally you might hear that running. Um, We will do our best to improve these terrible audio issues for the next podcast. Uh, We know it's not up to the standard that you would expect. We will do better. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. I work in clinical research and have decided to explain it to my friend Elise. Say hello, Elise. Hello, Elise. That was so mysterious. Uh, Hi, my name is Elise. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I don't work in clinical research, so I'm here to learn things. We're all learning all the time. Every day is a school day. Hmm. We're here to pull the curtain back on medical research, so hopefully you feel more informed and that you can trust the outcomes of uh, research. There's a lot to discuss. Today we're talking about something... uh, uh, super interesting. I, I think this is a bit of a good one. But of course, I would say that. <laughs> uh, I'm the one with the microphone. Um, today, we're going to be talking about phenylephrine, phenylephrine, um, which is a particular active ingredient in a lot of cold um, and congestion medicine sold over the counter. It's uh, been used to treat a runny or stuffy nose, sinus congestion and pressure. Uh, allegedly, and this word is key, allegedly it works by decreasing swelling in the nose, making it easier to breathe. And so uh, it's part of a group of medicines that we call decongestants, right? Removes congestion or or makes less congestion. You may see it listed as phenylephrine um, with a pH, not an F, um, but it's also um, listed as phenylephrine hydrochloride. It's the same thing, more or less. Just an extra HCl stuck on the end for fun. For fun. Uh, that's, all, that's all it, HCl is. That's all chemistry is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for fun. fun. I, I studied it. It was not fun. Anyway, <laughs> um, phenylephrine is a popular decongestant, so it's, it's in a lot of over-the-counter products. Um, it's in Sudafed, PE, uh, some formulations of NyQuil, loads of other cold and flu treatments. Now, those of you with... Uh, chemistry background or ears um, may also have a similar decongestant called pseudoephedrine that's different phenylephrine pseudoephedrine but in the same family right of decongestants Um, if you've watched Breaking Bad the television program which just as an aside oh god that episode with the fly now you've not seen it Elise I have not seen it you know what I was late to the game on it Mike and I borrowed the DVDs off a colleague of mine and we watched it all and I, it was fine. But everybody I think was so in the zeitgeist of when it came out. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the best television program ever. And I think because I had that hype in my mind when we watched it, I did not feel that way. The pacing was so weird. And there's this one episode where they're in a lab and they're just following this fly around the lab and it's so slow. It just, I remember sitting (laughs) on the couch watching it with Mike, just thinking, Maybe I've died and this is it. I, I just have to watch this fly. It's for so the rest funny because I saw that you put 
like in the script for today, like in oh, the that fly episode, and I definitely expected something significantly grosser or like no. more body horror or something Mm-mm. from like the comment. But that sounds like it was just, no, just uh, just Russian boring. literature levels of mon- mundanity that you mundanity. have to sit through. Absolutely. Sorry, Russian oh, literature. God. There's probably really good Russian literature, and I don't mean that in a. I just my limited no, exposure. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's anyway. Not. Um, so if you've watched Breaking Bad and if you liked that fly episode, don't write in. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but you may know that pseudoephedrine can be processed into methamphetamine. That's what. Um, oh, God, what's his name? It doesn't matter. That's what the dude in, in Breaking Bad makes. He makes tons of meth. Walter? Um, yeah, sure. Maybe. Walter White. OK, if you say so. I haven't seen the show. This is this is such a weird reversal on us of like I don't know who Jeff Goldblum is. And now, you do now though. Kind of, yeah. So listeners, just uh just for the record, Elise now has weekly coaching sessions with me on Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because it's so important. <laughs> Okay, so pseudoephedrine um, is a decongestant, same as uh, phenylephrine, but because it can be used to make meth, what has that led to in the US, at least? Do you know? I sure do, because I was a very congested child. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> which, which is weird, because you're such an uncongested adult. <laughs> Shut up, Debbie! <laughs> Rude. Okay, fine. Whatever. I don't have boxes of tissues in every fucking room of my house. Um, no yay. shame in it. No shame in it. Elise and I are showing each other our boxes of <laughs> tissues, listeners. Mm-hmm. Pseudoephedrine. What happened? Yeah. So <laughs> it became uh, that you had to go to the to the pharmacy counter to get it. So it's somewhere mm-hmm. in between prescription and over the counter because technically you don't need a prescription but you do have to go over to the pharmacy request something that has pseudoephrine in it and then you have to sign a little thing and you have to give your driver's license sometimes this was like i've done this many times in my life and like you have to yeah sign this little thing and then they track how often you're buying it and how much of it you're buying wow that's brutal it is so um because some of us are just congested little children (laughs) or adults I was going to say, at least you are an adult. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of medicines that you, you can buy, right, there there are kind of three levels. There's the over the counter, which is you can go to the shelf, you can pick it up, you take it to the checkout, you pay. And those are the most widely available ones. Right. Then there's the pharmacy only medicines, P-meds. Oh, you know, like condoms and birth control. A condom. Do you have to go to a pharmacist to get condoms? It depends on where you're buying them, but no, typically not a pharmacist, but they do keep them in many places locked so that you have to like go to a store employee and be like, unlock the case full of condoms. Excuse me, I would like to have some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so then if you're a 16 year old girl who's trying to get condoms, they can be like, no, you shouldn't be having sex. And then you have unsafe sex instead because. Perfect. I see no side effects for that. Jesus Mm -hmm. Christmas. America. (laughs) You know what? I'm sure that that's the case, not just in America. Like I know in the UK, um, thinking of, of things being locked away that really don't need to be a lot of um hair care products yes. for black hair <clears throat> yep are often locked away same in the u.s and why is that oh it's not because there's any data that shows that they're more likely to be shoplifted it's because you're doing racial profiling of yes. the people that need those products absolutely cool Stupid. um yeah so f- pharmacy medicines are the ones where 
uh, you have to go and speak to the pharmacist to get it, but you don't have to speak to a doctor first. They're not prescription only meds. You just have to speak to the pharmacist. And yes, it, in Australia, I remember I, I bought pseudoephedrine. We lived there. Similarly, you have to give them your driver's license. And I think it's for a tracking kind of thing. Um, but in the UK, I mean, I haven't I haven't bought pseudoephedrine in a while. Um, I'm not a congested child. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever had to give my driving license to buy it. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of a part way in between um, a prescription and uh, over the counter in that you have to speak to a healthcare provider as a pharmacist, but you uh, you can you can get it, but it is more tightly controlled because it can be used to make methamphetamine if you buy a lot of it. So today we're talking about phenylephrine, which is not pseudoephedrine. Uh, phenylephrine is more more widely available. It's an over the counter medicine. Right. So you don't have to speak to a pharmacist to get it. You don't have to speak to a doctor to get it. Phenylephrine was patented, patented in approximately 1933 and came into medical use from about 1938. Squiggly line because it depends where you are in the world. Now, listeners, we're going to be talking about something that's happening or happened happening in the USA. And I know not everybody lives in the USA. What? But <laughs> shut up, Elise. <laughs> Elise lives in the USA and is such a terrible person. She struggles to understand that not mm-hmm. everybody does. Yeah. That's not true. It's the center of the world. Elise we is know great. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm God. kidding. Um, so we're talking about this US specific thing, but the reason that it's interesting to the rest of us, including me, um, is because of the potential ripples uh, of what's happened in the US uh, on the rest of us. And, and whether we like it or not, right, America is one of the biggest markets for drugs. So the rest of the world always has a bit of an eye on what the US is doing, uh, for right or wrong. That's how it is. So um, phenylephrine was approved by the FDA in 1976. So before Elise and I were born, mm-hmm. we're both babies, obviously. Now, maybe you remember when we talked about in episode six, something that happened in the 1930s mm-hmm. that led to the food drug Drug and Cosmetic Act in 1938. Do you remember what that was, at least? Yes, there was something about antifreeze and raspberries, and (laughs) you can cover up the taste of antifreeze with raspberry taste, and Mm. it makes children want to chug antifreeze, and then people died. Right. Okay, well... (laughs) <laughs> Look, you remembered some of the key points, um, but not all of them. That's that's how learning goes. Yes. So this elixir sulfonilamide tragedy um, where they took a, a successful sulfonilamide antibiotic, ground it up and dissolved it in essentially antifreeze, flavoured it with raspberry flavour, which you've remembered perfectly. Uh, and yes, unfortunately, who knew? Um antifreeze is toxic and a bunch of people died. So that happened in 1937 and led to this Food, Drugs and Cosmetic Cosmetic Act in 1938 in the USA. That required the medicine to be safe. That's all. It didn't require that it worked, which is wild. But okay. In 1962, and I don't know how to say this person's name, so I'm just going to give it a a good old British smash. (laughs) Um, The Kefalva-Harris Drug Amendments... Would you say Kefalva? I would say Kefalva, yeah. Great. Okay. The Kefalva-Harris drug amendments required that prescription and over-the-counter drugs must be both safe and effective. Okay. It's cool that it doesn't kill you, but is it actually making you better? So any drugs that were on the market between 1938, i.e. it's safe, and 1962, when it also needs to be effective, what are we going to do about that? The FDA developed a system called the OTC, over-the-counter monograph system. So they checked 
does it work? And at the time in 1976, before we were born, <laughs> before we were even twinkles in anybody's eyes, the FDA had determined that the drug was safe. The study suggested it was effective against congestion. That's the thing that it is sold to treat, right? And it is sold in several forms, oral pills, nasal sprays, a whole bunch of different stuff you can take. And after the, the change in law around pseudoephedrine, which came in 2006, it became the main ingredient in over-the-counter decongestants because pseudoephedrine is now behind the barrier of the pharmacist, right? Mm -hmm. Because it can be processed into methamphetamine. And that's when, that's when, as a congested child, I stopped getting the help that I needed. And, and since then, you've just been a Bloxy McGee. Congested, just, a, just really, yeah, just full of snot. My whole life. Sniffly, snoffly. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. Your microphone's really doing a great job in, in not picking oh, up all of your nice. sniffing okay, noises. I'm not that sniffly. I do actually... You can breathe? Seems fake. Kind of. I don't know why I'm being so mean today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, right now, phenylephrine is in hundreds of products. Americans, you guys... Yeah, us. Lads. <laughs> spent about $1.8 billion on those remedies last year. For congested people. <laughs> Well, uh, look, also, um, your healthcare system makes everything wildly expensive. Yeah, that's true, too. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Okay, so phenylephrine is not used in the manufacture of meth. Easy to get your hands on should you need decongesting, except here's the kicker, pals. It seems now that the evidence is not robust to say that it works. Shocking. I'm not shocked. No, which is something that... You know, like I thought about this because we have we have phenylephrine in the house now rather than pseudo because it's it's more effort to get pseudo. Yeah. You have to go and speak to somebody, and who wants to do that in this economy? Not me. But mm -hmm. I remember having pseudo previously and and feeling much more clear nosed when I had a cold or flu or whatever was was stuffing me up. So it seems that it doesn't work as effectively as perhaps you would like. And once again, we're going to come to this terrible situation where. A couple of people are really determined to make a change. Uh, and so a lot of this sits kind of on their on their shoulders and their really excellent persistence. So all all credit to uh, Dr. Ratton and uh, Dr. Leslie Hendeles. They are pharmaceutical experts with the University of Florida. And they both separately became aware of reports or questions about whether phenylephrine like, actually worked. So... Um, Elise, you you pointed me to to this story, right? Yeah. So what did what how did they first kind of get get their eyes on this? Um, what was the first kind of flag of like there were calls to a call center? Was it just people saying, saying like, oh, uh, why isn't my congestion cleared up because I'm taking <laughs> yeah. what you told me to take and it's not working because that's how I felt for twenty years taking phenylephrine mm. so but i never called anybody about it because it's my mission in life Ooh. to never be an inconvenience mm. Mm. you you do really well in britain because that's mm -hmm. our that's our philosophy yeah. don't make a fuss dear. don't make, don't a, make fuss. a fuss exactly i can't call the people who are supposed to be helping me about this oh goodness they might have to be busy <laughs> oh, god yeah uh, so yeah, there, there was a pharmacy call center overseen by Dr. Hatton who received these calls and, and a little red flag went off. And also, um, Dr. Hendel has did some research following up on this suspicion, right? So their collaboration has been going on for like 20 years initially to kind of collect and review some data. What have we got? What is, are we giving this at the right dose? What's happening to prove whether or not this drug works? 
this included <laughs> a freedom of information request for unpublished data on the drug across multiple studies because although the drug has been around for a while a bunch of different companies manufacture and sell versions of this right under brand names nyquil sudafed etc so they've kind of all got skin in the game and if you're doing a piece of research to say is is my is sudafed better than nyquil or whatever right one of the reasons that companies do these is so they can put it on the packaging and put it in the adverts and say nine in 10 users said my drug was better than that drug or whatever. Yeah. But if they don't publish those results, then nobody knows the outcome of it. And this is something that um, historically has not been particularly good uh, about publishing those results. Right. And we talked about this when we talked about transparency and how important it is to publish results, because if you don't, you can end up with a drug on the market that doesn't work. Shocking. So when it was discovered through all of this data, they did meta-analysis, they kind of pulled a bunch of studies together and looked at a whole bunch of different um, information, you know, does it work? Can you prove that the, 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 the difference in symptom or outcome is noticeable? They petitioned the FDA to remove this drug. And recently, in 2023, um, an FDA advisory committee has met and unanimously concluded that phenylephrine in its oral form uh, works no better than a placebo in treating cold and allergy symptoms. But it seems that the nasal sprays do work. Hmm. So there's something where um, I was reading an article that said something like it, it seems that the digestion process just mm -hmm. destroys the drug. So uh, if you take a drug orally, obviously it goes through your digestive tract and that's how it gets into your bloodstream. But if the drug is destroyed during that process then it's not gonna be able to do anything and that's why some right. things are injected and some things are uh yeah like a nasal spray or, or applied in many different ways to the body good times good times i just keep thinking back to i mean how if it's not working how did it get on the market like why uh -huh. why was it uh -huh. there so <laughs> why can why can we spend 1.8 billion dollars on it in 2022 or whatever so there's a, there's a number of different factors that we have to consider here. And one is, whatever research you're doing, you're only ever looking at a subset of the population. So sometimes drugs do get approved based on good, robust, ethical, transparent research. And then the drug goes out to the wider population and you learn more about it. You can't control for every variable in an experiment. And that's why the post-market surveillance, which is what this is, this is post-market surveillance, is really important. Another important reason is that at the time of the approval, the FDA had used an endpoint that it thought was clinically meaningful. So you, hopefully, Elise, will remember when we talked about the accelerated approval pathway, we talked about surrogate. Yes, yes. Neurofilament light. Oh, my God. Look at you. Get out of we town. We just transcribed that episode. Oh, <laughs> I was feeling so hopeful for you. But... Uh, I mean, I also remember a fair amount. It's okay. Good. Great. I can tell you a lot about that episode. SOD1, ALS, mm. and yeah, proteins as measures. Yeah. There's a lot mm -hmm. of Elise in that episode, which is great because when you're transcribing, Elise and I share that work between us. <laughs> Elise, as you may have noticed, talks slower than I do, which when you're transcribing is much easier to type. Whereas when I'm talking, you have to pause every sort of three seconds to type out the 400 <laughs> words that I've crammed into that time. It just depends on if I get going. But also, I spend a lot of time in meetings with ALS interpreters, American Sign Language interpreters, 
Um, I said ALS, ASL. ASL. It's in the mix. American language sign. It's in the mix. ALS, ASL. Um, ASL interpreters. So I think I've been, they don't like it when you <laughs> talk too fast. Talk too fast. Well, which is shoot. Fair. fair. Valid. Oh dear. Mm-hmm. Well, mm, I'm going to have to m- moderate my speed. Okay. Well, I mean, if someone's interpreting for you, then yeah. True. At the moment, anyway. they aren't. It's just us interpreting it's just us. via transcript ourselves. So, um, one of the reasons that this drug got on the market was because of the use of a surrogate endpoint, right? So, exactly like the neurofilament light, blood pressure, the examples that we talked about before, prior studies had measured airflow and air pressure in the nasal passage to indirectly evaluate congestion. Now, y- you would think, right, that if they're less, if they're, if more air is able to get through then that means they're less congested. But uh, if you think about when you have a cold, right, it doesn't only block your nostrils that you breathe through. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but when I get congested, and if it's really bad, like the whole of my face just throbs, yeah. and there are many other hmm, tubes and pipes in your face <laughs> that can feel congested that have nothing to do with airflow, right? Like your sinuses, sinusitis, right, is that inflammation of your sinuses will feel real stuffy and that's what causes me to get that kind of throbbing face headache yeah they don't help you breathe they make mucus that drains out of your nose that that used to catch bacteria allergens germs whatever okay so the surrogate of air pressure airflow is measuring one bit of the whole congested face Mm. okay right but you know probably in the 70s yeah made made sense Yeah, I mean, honestly, just thinking about it, it makes sense of if you just said, is this a good measure? Mm -hmm. Airflow and air pressure in the nasal passage. I'd be like, well, yeah. yeah. But then as soon as someone says to you the things that I just said, you go, oh, it is more complicated. Oh, yeah. It's not it's not just airflow in the nasal passage. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Great. Um, So now the FDA considers clinical symptom scores. So me as a patient, I say I feel Nine out of ten congested. Like, ten is the most congested a human being has ever been. Me to lease. And one is... I'm so sorry. I just couldn't help myself. I'm in some kind of mood today. And one is no congestion at all. You've you've never been less congested. (laughs) Right now, Debbie. Yeah, I I have in my life been congested, (laughs) but I'm, I'm good for now, thankfully. And score yourself as a patient on on this scale one to ten, right? Um, so the patient will answer questionnaires and they are gold standards for evaluating efficacy. They're called patient reported outcomes. And um, although you often want to use them alongside objective measures, they're really useful in knowing how stuff feels. Because even if my airflow has improved, right, if I still feel terrible, then I still feel terrible. And that's the yeah. important thing for knowing whether a drug is working. Do I feel better? The whole reason I'm taking this drug is to manage the symptoms so I feel better. So patient reported what? Patient reported? Patient reported outcomes. Pros. Outcomes. Mm-hmm. Pros. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> That's we, what they call me. Let's just, <laughs> Cute. Um, let's just put that on like a future episode because I feel like there's so much to talk about. Heaps. Done. All right. Okay. Filed. Noted. And on that scale of the patient reported outcome, right, the clinical symptom scores, phenylephrine is not effective. Interesting. Yeah, s- sounds right. Because if anyone had ever asked me, are you getting relief 
from taking Sudafed, there's regular Sudafed. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, fucking no, I'm not. Yeah. Sorry, I need to stop using. We're flat. I don't know. You're fucking fine. Don't worry. <laughs> That's good because I cuss a lot. I guess. Um, okay. This is not a yeah, podcast for children. Yeah, that's <laughs> just now imagining a child listening to our podcast. And I like, hope that our friend listens to this with their baby because I think I mm-hmm. think that they would really enjoy it. Yeah, the baby specifically. Uh, yeah, the friend probably yeah, not yeah, so yeah, much. Yeah. The friend. <laughs> She's a great Listen, friend. I, but... I saw her Spotify wrapped. We're Same. in the top five. We're top five, which is. It shows you how little she uses Spotify. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was thinking too, because I'm like... She's a great friend. We love you. Anywho, um, the other interesting thing is that most of the original studies evaluated the drug for its use treating the common cold, which we know is wildly variable, right? You can... There is... (laughs) And this this is... I don't know if this is just a British thing. We love talking about the weather one, but we also love talking about, like... A, a cold in terms of how severe it is because you can have a super mm. mild cold where you're like yeah. oh, i feel fine i'm just like a bit sniffy um, mm-hmm. and you can also have the now i hate to say this because it it, it feeds into this kind of terrible gendered narrative but like the man flu where you're, <laughs> where you've got a you've got a bad cold and you're wiped mm-hmm. um i'm reminded of our, another friend of ours uh my uh, like a little sister to me, Ava, who calls everything la gripa, which is in Spanish. I think la gripa is actually like the flu, uh-huh. but like it, like more technically, but it's used colloquially, at least in um, the Spanish that, that she grew up in and that mm-hmm. I grew up in a little bit um, as just kind of like the ache, the stuff, the, mi- yeah. the flu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like mm-hmm. the bug, the cold. Yeah. But it's like a bad cold. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Not I don't think you would call the sniffles. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't call the sniffles la, gri- la gripa. La gripa. Call, okay. like, yeah. The ma- the man flu la gripa. I would okay. call the man flu la gripa. But it's, yeah. sorry, okay. So in in my efforts to smash gender norms in my house, I'm the pathetic one when I'm sick, and Mike is a real trooper. He's great. He's a hero. I love him to pieces. Um, in that I just lie there and whine. <laughs> I expect him to fetch me things. And he's mm-hmm. just like, okay, I've got to take the dogs a walk, got to feed the dogs. And I'm just like, <laughs> we're doing our bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back on track. <laughs> Most of the original studies evaluated the drug in the context of this wildly variable illness, the common cold. Okay, which doesn't allow you to make good, robust comparisons. And the FDA have since acknowledged that measuring allergic rhinitis, okay, what? which is the fancy way of saying hay fever. Oh, Yep. So, don't panic, Elise. Here we go. Let's eat a dictionary for breakfast. <clears throat> Rhinitis is just another way of saying it's the general term for nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, itching. Those kind of okay. nosy symptoms, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Rhinoplasty That's... is a nose job. Rhinitis is like mm, the inflammation mm-hmm. business in your nose. When we say that I'm like a congested human, I'm a mm. rhinitis. Per- I'm a rhinitis human. That's okay. my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Allergic rhinitis, that tells you the mm-hmm. cause of it, right? Mm-hmm. Usually to pollen or something else, cat fur. Yeah. What other things can you be allergic to? Homework? Oh, let me start the list no, no, for you. No. <laughs> Mute-esque. <laughs> but you could also have the, the rhinitis is caused by a virus, such as a cold or the flu. Viral rhinitis. Uh-huh. And you can also have, in any kind of disease, if we don't know what the cause of it is, what's the word for that, Elise? Idiopathic. Bam! Exactly. So you could have idiopathic rhinitis, where you are experiencing the symptom 
or the sign nasal congestion runny nose sneezing itching but who knows why you just are yeah so the fda now say that actually if we'd uh measured it in allergic rhinitis in which patients experience more long-term congestion more reliably better results Okay. There are other reasons why drugs could be on the market with not enough evidence or like things change over time, right? You get more evidence, you realize actually it's not as effective as we thought, or hey, there's this new side effect like we saw with the COVID vaccines. Um, we also know that doctors prescribe off label for um, something that isn't yet proven by research. Sometimes that's because there's no other option. The final thing to say is. The FDA OTC, over-the-counter monograph system, the thing that happened between the 60s and the 70s to, mm -hmm. to kind of get all of the old drugs up to standard, prioritised, haha, just like the 1938 legislation, safety over e efficacy. So the, their, their key key focus was, is the drug safe? And I get that. But that has led to the removal of some medicines because they weren't effective. They didn't work, which is where we are now with phenylephrine and that doesn't help us as patients right taking something that doesn't work or you, i should say that doesn't help you taking something that doesn't help as rhinitis girl yeah that's your new superhero name allergic rhinitis girl specifically because mm. that's mm. that's my life that's been my life since i was a child yeah okay debbie mm -hmm. all that said i know we've got our hero from florida yep who found this out mm -hmm. what how why okay. so our heroes, Hatton and Hindelis, um, this is, it gets a bit wild, so put your seatbelt on. They initially asked the FDA this 15 years ago, when we were still babies at school or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I guess, and I know this to be true, no regulator, right, has an endless pot of money to do investigations, so the FDA didn't. Instead, you want to know how Colombo solved this case? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love do. Colombo, he's great. Just one more question. The pharmaceutical company who owned the patent did studies to evaluate the effectiveness of a higher dose of phenylephrine to potentially develop an extended release product. Now, credit where credit is due. This company, Shearing Plow Merck. What? Yep. Bless me. Um, Shearing Plow is, was the name of the drug company. They've since been acquired by another drug company, Merck. Shearing like sheep and plow like farms. I think they were just the names of people, but I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's just the name of a business. Okay. Like Google. Okay. Facebook. And then Merck, like mercenary. M E R C K is the name of another drug company. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Shearing Plow published the negative results in peer reviewed journals. So now we had these company funded studies from Shearing Plow, later acquired by Merck, reporting that oral phenylephrine was ineffective, which is your definitive evidence, right? Hilariously, mm -hmm. other drug companies, including but not limited to GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, Again, why? I think it's just the names of people, but... Yeah, it must be. Um, they also did some research in 2007 to show which... The, the results that they reported showed that it was effective, but there have been some accusations that they uh, select published. So who knows? Hmm. So 2007, what, when was the shearing plow merc stuff? That was the 15 years ago? Mm, after the 15 years ago, yeah. So around about okay. the same time, probably. Okay. Maybe slightly okay. more recently. So we've had evidence for... For a while. Yeah. A hot minute. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And there's meta-analyses that have been done not recently in this in this sort of time period, 2007, probably 2012 or, or more recently, where the meta-analysis were like, yeah, we don't, we don't think this is a thing. Anyway, 
Just one more question, as Columbo would say. Why doesn't this happen <laughs> with more medicines? Yeah, uh, and, and along those lines, I guess, how many medicines does this happen to? Yeah, not many. Good question. I think most medicines, once they're on the market, unless there's a big safety concern, they're not going to get taken off. OK, because generally speaking, and broad brush strokes, the pharmaceutical industry has no incentive to fund studies proving old ingredients work if the in if the, the bit of the market is worth one point eight billion dollars. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your incentive to do that? What you what you really want to do is find a new, better version of it. But the old thing's still going to be on the market. Right. If you can get a slow release phenylephrodrine that you can charge twice the amount for. And someone only mm-hmm. has to take one tablet rather than two or whatever. Um, that's gonna that's gonna bump your sales a little bit. But you, there's no motivation for the drug company to go and, and check. Hey, does this drug actually still work? We should do a meta-analysis every ten years, right? But similarly yeah. speaking, you don't have to take your driving test every five years just to prove you can still drive. The assumption is that you still can. Right. And that I think is the the rationale for once it's on the market, it stays on the market unless and until. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess. That rationale makes sense, but for things that we have a robust amount of evidence that it works and it's effective, mm-hmm. so more modern drugs. But it doesn't, I don't think, work as well for things that made you know kind of got grandfathered in through the 1930 whatever rule. Yeah, but okay, I don't disagree with any any particular point. I think the difficulty is, is that in 1976, when this drug was approved over the OTC monograph thing, at that point, the FDA said, yeah, there is enough data and we are happy with this. Mm, I just think what we need to accept is with science. And this is not just pharmaceuticals. This is across across uh, many, many arenas. Right. We're always learning stuff. We're always improving or changing our standards. So what was acceptable in 1976 is not necessarily the same as now. Right. And so I think there really is value in reviewing some of these older products in an ongoing way. Mm-hmm. But then, OK, here's a here's a flip side argument to that. OK, uh, my dad has been on blood pressure managing medication since he had a stroke in 1995, mm. which we don't need to get into. But he was on a particular medicine for a while and it worked. His blood pressure was was managed. He's happy. And then the doctor said to him, when he goes in, he calls it his MOT. He goes in every year for a checkup with his doctor. Um, and the doctor said to him, oh, there's more modern drugs on the market. More recent. Would you like to try one of the newer ones? And my dad, being a firm believer in science, was like, yeah, sure, let's go for it. So my dad tried two or three of the newer medicines and none mm-hmm. of them worked as effectively as this older one, mm-hmm. which just worked for him. Yeah. Both things can be true, right? Absolutely. Just because it's an older medicine doesn't mean it doesn't work. But and also there should be a way in which we we continually evaluate the safety and efficacy of all medicines. And I think one of the problems that we see, and this is right, every every government body will say this, is there's just not enough money to do everything. Not enough money, not enough people. Yeah. Yep. So what happens now that Colombo has solved the case? <laughs> I love Colombo. The FDA basically have to decide whether those products are allowed to stay on the market or not because there's so many drugs on the market that include that product, phenylephrine. And the, the reason there's so many of them is because they, this ingredient is widely recognised by the FDA safe and effective because of this OTC monograph. Mm-hmm. Now, if the FDA determined that oral phenylephrine, remember this is only oral, this is not the nasal spray, spray to your heart's content because that seems <laughs> to work. Why? I don't know, but it does. And I think it's due to the digestion breakdown of the 
active ingredient, right? Mm -hmm. If the FDA determined that oral phenylephrine is not effective, their next step is to issue a, a statement or an order considering removing that phenylephrine monograph, the OTC monograph. And then this is the weird thing from an article I read. It said that the public could then comment on it. This is, I think this is actually from the FDA website, right? The public can then comment on the FDA's next steps, which to me is a bit weird because you're a regulator, right? Surely it is or it isn't. Why are the public commenting? I don't know. <laughs> so if the FDA decide to put out this proposed order to remove the monograph and then the public comment on it, the FDA will look at the comments. And then the next step, if they decide to go down this road, is to issue an order removing the ingredient from that monograph. Then they would have to work with manufacturers to make sure that they could provide, reformulate products, find another way to ensure the availability of safe and effective products to treat the symptoms of colds and allergies. There are other products on the market, right? Yeah. So pseudoephedrine for one. And okay, it's a pain. You've got to go speak to a pharmacist, but it works. Also, there are products that contain phenylephrine in combo with other active ingredients like ibuprofen or acetaminophen slash paracetamol. Sometimes you get paracetamol, acetaminophen, phenylephrine and caffeine together because mm -hmm. caffeine obviously helps. Yeah. That's why I have a big coffee every morning. <laughs> and the presence of phenylephrine in these products doesn't affect how the other active ingredients work. So there's there's going to be a little bit of juggling and wiggling to do about that. Right. Because which is tricky. Basically, like if we took all of those products off the shelf right now, that's not mm -hmm. they're not unsafe. Mm -hmm. There's just a piece of them that's ineffective, but the other parts are effective. Mm -hmm. And now hundreds of people cannot get access to the effective part of the drug. Yeah. Or thousands, millions of people can't get access to the effective billion part. dollars yeah. worth of something. Yeah. Exactly. And like, that's especially concerning because it could also drive up the price of everything else in a time when medicine is already very, and, and in make it more, economy. yeah, really difficult to get access to because now, Definitely. right. If everyone's like, buying pseudoephedrine and the manufacturers haven't up their supply yeah then you're going to end up with shortages we see it the world over in, yeah. in various different situations so at the moment we don't really know what's going to happen this advisory committee have made their decision and what i'll try and I'll, I'll, when we publish this episode in whenever we publish it a couple of weeks months time i'll try and include the link to the fda website in the show notes that clarification will help and also probably on that page will be where they mm, post updates. updates so if you're curious mm and or your local government regulators website. So I, as far as I know so far, the MHRA are looking into it, but they haven't made any decisions because although we say, right, all regulators don't have the enormous resources needed to do all of the studying, evaluating and removing all of the drugs, right? The FDA have more, more money, time and resource than the MHRA. And I know that for sure, just because of the size of your economy just means that there's, there's more money available. Whereas the MHRA in, in this country is, and the people that work for it are great, but they just have even less to work with. Okay, there are possibly other old drugs on the market that maybe don't work the way we want them to. And the regulator's job is to look at that. There's, there's, there's a lot of things that we need to unpack, right? The fact that we've mentioned this before, the morning after pill, mm -hmm. plan B, doesn't work mm -hmm. if you're above a certain weight. Like, literally doesn't work. Yeah. Um, dosages of many drugs for children are based on kind of arbitrary age ranges, so what? if you're below 12, like take this dosage. Yeah. Whereas like when I was 12, I was the size of an eight year old. Whereas when, I don't know, someone large, who's large? The Rock. When The Rock was 12, he was probably the size of 20 year old. Okay. So The Rock and I at 12 years old 
hilarious. <laughs> um, very different <laughs> human beings. Yes, right, yeah. Elise is having a giggle fit. Because yeah. he's six foot whatever and I'm five foot nothing. Yes, but, but that, that age range isn't the thing. that de- Your age right. isn't the thing that determines your ability to tolerate a dose. It's more likely to be your weight. Yeah. Right? Unless it is your age, right? Like, isn't there a possibility that developmentally, Some especially in very age, young children, yeah, infants yeah, yeah, and things, Particularly, Yeah, age. and like immunology and things like that. Yes. But when it comes to like, should I take one tablespoon or two of yeah. this? The rock probably needs two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Guest Sorry, speaker next Mr. Uh... Johnson, comma, Dwayne. I'm not trying to prescribe you any medicines. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, we'll but, have him uh, on next time to comment on how many tablespoons of cough syrup he took when he was 12. When he was 12. Um, I, I, he seems like a nice a nice guy, and I would, I would love one day to stand next to him and just feel like a child, because he's <laughs> yeah. the size of a small house, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think you're right. Anywho, it, it, also, if it turns out in the future that The Rock is problematic, this is not an endorsement for him. <laughs> it's just a comment on someone in pop culture. True, true. All of this that we're talking about, right, doesn't even include things like dietary supplements or homeopathic remedies that this... This grinds my gears. Yeah. Don't require evidence of effectiveness or to yep. undergo any FDA review. Here's the stupid thing, right? Something like a supplement, you can put anything you want on it. You can say nine out of ten people say that this makes my hair stand on end. Yeah. And if nine out of ten people have said that, then you can put it on your packaging. Mm-hmm. So you can pay some nine out of ten people to say that and then put it on your packaging. Oh, it's just... It's terrible. It's And all of these, like, all of the beauty... Oh, God quote-unquote research right that's done it's yeah. so often like oh eight out of ten people say that this makes their hair shinier and glossier and you're like okay how many people did you research that in ten people sure that's a that's a representative sample of the world yeah there's a lot about all that kind of stuff and all the dietary supplements and the way that those and like commercials for them are are mm. done and things and it's just it's extremely upsetting because i know it preys on people's deepest and most culturally embedded insecurities about definitely appearance and body and all these things and then presents and then presents some sort of miracle solution panacea that is that mimics scientific proof yeah so that even people who have the lens of no no i i don't i don't take those those snake oil remedies for things look at that and say, but it says that they studied this and it sounds like all the things that, yeah, it Mm. grinds my gears as well. It's very upsetting, um, especially in in the U.S. where it is completely fine to advertise medications, supplements, all these kinds of things on TV and all that kind of stuff. It's um, It's wild, isn't it? It's upsetting, yeah. Yeah. So all all of this episode has been to say, that it seems that the research currently shows that phenylephrine is not an effective treatment on its own for um, nasal congestion symptoms that you may experience during a cold or with a hay fever. Like we found. There are other products on the market available. Um, so we'll get the ones that currently uh, the data shows that they work and, and watch this space. And look, if, if phenylephrine works for you, if you feel better taking phenylephrine, go for your life, right? It's safe. You're not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. NBD. And remember, this is the oral formulations, not the nasal sprays. The nasal sprays, according to the FDA's review, are effective. 
maybe you just need to get used to using a nasal spray rather than taking a tablet. I've always had better luck with the nasal sprays. Yeah? Yeah, but I don't know that phenylephrine is the... Active ingredient? Active ingredient in the nasal sprays that I've used, so... I don't know. I don't think I've ever used a nasal spray. Hmm. It's life-changing. Is it? All right, maybe I'm going to go and stuff some things up my nose. Yeah, well, you have to be careful because some of them do... are create dependency <laughs> um and so like with huh. your just your congestion system so like you have to take them in really like careful ways huh right i know all of this is again very u.s focused but that's because the decision by the fda was published in the last couple of months as we record this we're kind of waiting for the rest of the world to respond and, and on what other action um may be taken uh but keep keep your eyes peeled on phenylephrine and what's going to go on because uh, uh, this story may move quickly. It may move slowly. Uh, who knows? It may not move at all. These are basically the options. You're welcome. Uh, any further questions, Elise? Uh, no, but I did get reminded that we have a compliment to read. Oh! <laughs> so, thanks. Right. Get uncomfortable, I guess. Get uncomfortable, Debbie. Thanks for sending in your compliment, Andrew. To the Gmail, uh, this is what it says. Hi, Elise and Debbie. I'm a big fan of your podcast and the work you're doing with it. Aww. I think it's brilliant that Debbie has decided to start this podcast and share her expertise with the world. She's so well-spoken and approachable, which is not easy with such detailed and imposing topics. And also, Elise is so good at asking the right questions and bringing levity where needed. You both have struck a wonderful balance, and I want to thank you again for creating, editing, researching, and creating in totality this podcast. Oh, Andrew, that's so kind of you. Thank you for your lovely comments and compliments. Aw. Aw, thanks, Andrew. And high five, Debbie. You took that compliment mm. with a plum. This is a high five. I don't have any plums, Elise. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right, close us out. Get us out of here. <laughs> Bam! We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, would like to get in touch, maybe send me some plums. You can email us at clinical.research.intro at gmail.com. Please do subscribe so you get the next episode automatically. Always rate and review, which I hate saying every time, but here we are. Um, you can also check out the Clinical Research 101 Instagram page at clinical.research.intro. Currently, we're in December. Uh, it's it's on December pause. So we're not going to be posting new content on there, but there's like two years worth of content. So there's plenty to check out. And probably by the time this episode comes out, we'll be back up to content on that Instagram page. Our website, intro to clinicalresearch.podbean.com. Recently updated has had a facelift beautiful great job elise um and has transcripts available we're still uh, uh working a little way through the backlog but they're they're getting there we're doing our best it's my fault for talking too fast sorry <laughs> there's other information there too uh so that's intro to clinical research.podbean.com uh, finally a big thank you from us to our friend sam winnie for letting us use their incredible music for our intro and outro another friend of ours um recently told us that it was very catchy and it was in their head all day and i was delighted at that so that's that's because sam is such a great uh composer and musician good job sam oh i rushed through that it's gonna be fun, it's to, gonna transcribe be fun to transcribe at light speed <laughs> sorry to the to the ASL transcriber oh oh it's it's me and you so yeah, sorry yeah, us, yeah. i guess thank you for listening uh we wouldn't uh we wouldn't be here without you i guess probably would <laughs> it would be less fun mm -hmm. um so thanks and goodbye from me debbie you say goodbye elise goodbye elise